It was still dark, John writes, and the body was gone. One might think that this is a rather ominous beginning for the greatest feast of our liturgical tradition. But John says, as Matthew said in our Gospel text last night, it was the first day. And that must mean that there would be others. And if it was still dark, then as we heard from creation story last night, light followed the darkness. And so soon there would be light again. And if there was no body, could it be possible that the body might be somewhere else? Not missing, but re-present someplace else. If we only knew where. It would have been helpful, perhaps, if the witnesses had been a little more reliable. Disappointed disciples who didn't get it the first few times Jesus had already told them that he would rise from the dead. And Matthew indicates they didn't get it this time. There was a grieving woman whose first thought was that someone had stolen the body. There was an empty tomb, there were empty burial cloths, folded and left behind. One scripture wit made the comment that the real miracle was that a man had actually folded up his clothes and left them neatly on a shelf. But what has happened here? The tomb is to keep the dead well dead, but not to be a place of confusion, not to be a place of absence and emptiness. What did Mary expect to find when she went to the tomb? A closed tomb, an open tomb, but surely a body. What would we expect to find? Resurrection is never about the usual expectations, no matter how many times in generation after generation we celebrate this Feast of Resurrection. It's never about the usual expectations. Mary inserts that rather ubiquitous word, they. They have taken our Lord, and we don't know where they have put him. Who is the they? The government? The in-laws? The neighbors? The enemy? The chief priests and elders of the people? Sometimes it's as though mystery is never about us. But resurrection is always about us. The arrival of Peter and John is not any more enlightening. Surely they looked at each other and said, Now, what are we going to do? If there had been a dead body, well, that was to be expected, and they might simply have gone on with life. Later, we are told that Mary would meet the gardener. But gardeners changed the landscape. They rarely, rarely change hearts. 
The disciples would see someone in the upper room and think it was a ghost. Well, nobody really believes in ghosts, so there's no changing in that encounter. But the boundaries of life and death are now forever changed. The one who wasn't there is the one who is at the heart of why we're here, of why we celebrate this day, no matter where we might be. The emptiness of the tomb has given birth to the fullness of life, and we insist, we insist on keeping this day sacred. And so maybe the question is, what are we looking for today? Perhaps the question is an especially difficult one for many people this Easter. This Easter Sunday, we know, has come amidst a global anxiety. Usually, religious people of many traditions assemble in places of worship this weekend. That's what we usually do at Easter. And in the irony of a time when we can't do what we usually do, we are more conscious of what it means to not be able to do the usual. And so we might be thinking, did we take the usual too much for granted? Did we enter into the energy of past Easter's in the same way that we do today? Did we enter into the presence because of the absence of a body with the same sense of wonder and interest and focus that we do today? The message of Easter the message of resurrection is about freedom. Not just a freedom that we have had to sacrifice for a time, but about a deeper freedom. It is that profound freedom over a death that never marks the end. It is a freedom from believing that our past choices and decisions were all that there would be. It is a freedom from the bonds of remorse, of cynicism, and of despair. But the mystery of Easter is also a freedom toward. A freedom to make choices we've never made before. A freedom to pray, to love, to forgive, to enjoy, to hope. No matter where we are, a freedom to imagine so many ways that will allow us to never take each other for granted again. The message of the empty tomb is astounding. At first, it didn't look good. But then those first witnesses realized they couldn't go home again and be just as before, and neither can we. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, we can no longer look in our past or our present and be satisfied 
with the usual way of grasping life. This time may well teach us to, to treasure the values that we always professed, but maybe hesitated to practice. Paul tells us this morning, as he writes to the Corinthians, that we are like a fresh batch of dough being kneaded by Christ. Everything is new and everything is fresh. It is the springtime of life. We know our world has enough violence and persecution, suffering and fear. But as we renew our baptismal promises in a few moments, we will also renew our commitment to discard whatever we have done to contribute to that world, and instead to set our hearts on the new bread of sincerity and truth, of hope and of love. In his pastoral exhortation a short few years ago, writing on the joy of the gospel, Pope Francis said that Christ's resurrection is not a thing of the past. It contains, he says, a vital power that permeates the world, where all seems to be dead. Signs of resurrection suddenly spring up. It is an irresistible force. Each day in our world, beauty is born anew. And the one who believes in the resurrection is full of hope that not only sees that beauty, but becomes an instrument to make it happen.